You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. <clears throat> Sorry. Good morning, Adam. <laughs> wow. Straight to the coffee. Did you think my good morning was going to take a little longer? I don't know. Good morning. Welcome to day 293. <laughs> and 294, the days are piling up. 2018 is flying by. And we're doing it. We are. In the immortal words of Bono, with or without you, we're doing it. <laughs> with or without you, where are we today in the Old Testament? Thanks for joining us. Um, it's going to be another great day. It's a little happier, but yeah, I should go back to blues. Thank you. <laughs> Our Old Testament reading for today is Jeremiah chapter 43 through chapter 47. Yeah, I need you to go blues, because for me, this might be... Some of the saddest reading in the Bible. Oh, Jerry. For sweet Jerry Bear. Well, in chapter 42, it got really gross when they begged him to tell what God said. Well, yeah, yeah. So it ends with him being like, okay, let me be very clear about this. Very clear. He waits 10 days and God says, tell him. If you go to Egypt... Death awaits you. It's, if you stay in the land, you're totally fine. God will protect you. <laughs> and they're like, and the, even before they said, we promise we will listen to the Lord. Yeah. We only want, we're only concerned about where the Lord Whatever is. Whatever you say, Jerry, we will follow. Yeah. And then in um, chapter 43. Immediately. They say, you're lying. You're in collusion with Babylon. Mm-hmm. You want only evil for us. And so we're going to take you to Egypt. Yeah. They take him and his scribe, no. Baruch, which... <laughs> I like to call him Baruch. Baruch. Yeah, Baruch. Um, Baruch ato Adonai. Which, for some reason, Hebrew. they feel like he's a, a spy for Babylon. Right. But... Everyone's paranoid. It's crazy. Paranoid crazy town. and delusional. Can I... And so they, their response is, we're going to kidnap the prophet and his scribe and force him to come to Egypt. Yeah. I'm like, this is Jeremiah's story. This is where it goes. He's finally got a break. Like, the war's over for Judah, and he's just going to get carried away to Egypt where the next war is going to be. So, everyone listening, if you've made it this far, here's my question for you. Are, do, you do you like patterns? <laughs> can, you, can you grasp cycles? Not even in this story. Can you grasp the cycles in your life? Patterns? Seasons? I was looking at a fake rose this morning in our bathroom, noticing the pattern. It's beautiful. There's patterns all around us in nature. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. God creates patterns Mm -hmm. and cycles. Mm -hmm. So now let's look inward, Matt. Okay. There are cycles of death and cycles of life. Yes. Let's find the cycles of death, let's say, in your life today, Matt. (laughs) You start... You start at this point, you take a nice little journey, and on that journey, there's moments where it might turn. But somehow you end up at the very beginning of your stupid, boring, pedantic, disrespectful, horrible story once again. And this is where Israel, Judah, the the remnant, the dumbest, I mean, Babylon calls them dumb. Yeah. Because they're just going to be manual laborers. Mm-hmm. And God says, I'm going to leave you here. This is going to be great. It's all going to come back. You guys actually are going to find mercy. Mm-hmm. They found a way to screw it up, starting over the cycle of death in their lives, 
in the exact same place emotionally as well as we can't trust anybody. We're scared. We need to do something. And physically. Physically. By going to Egypt of all places. Right. Like totally disconnected from the ancient story given to them. We were rescued out of Egypt as slaves to be free people in a land of promise. And Egypt has never done us right. But here's what's crazy. Ever. Here's what's crazy, Matt. We work with people and we see it in our own lives. This is where repentance and faith break the cycles of death in our Mm -hmm. lives. You have to have a moment where you go, I don't want to be in this cycle of death anymore. But the truth is... The condition of sin is so genetic, it's so interwoven in our DNA that we will, we're scared to lose this cycle of death and we cling to it because it's what we know and we feel safer because we at least know we're part of this cycle because we're so scared to enter into the land and enter into what God has for us. And the only thing I can explain that fear is the death that is covering our hearts like mm-hmm. some kind of leprous disease. Because this is completely... You want to talk about crazy behavior? Isn't that the definition of insanity? Yeah. Repeating the same things over and over again? Expecting a different result. And expecting a different result. Wow. And this is what... We're going to go back to Egypt and expect not to be enslaved. But what's crazy is that that's what our culture does. That's what we do. We set up the same cycle. Are you in the same relationship you were five years ago, five months ago, ten years ago? Right. Are you on the same stupid path? I'm going to call it stupid. Because sin is stupid. Death doesn't make sense. It's not what we were created for. And the most amazing thing is that God consistently breaks in ridiculously right? only because we're his children. And he sends prophets. And he sends miracles and signs and his word and history and a culture and everything. I do think, so like for Jeremiah, my heart is like, why? Yeah. Why does he have to go to Egypt with them? But then I realize... From God's perspective, he's like so committed to his people that he's like, if you're going to go to Egypt, you're at least going to have my prophet and you're going to continue to hear my words. I'm going to continue to talk to you. Yes. Because of Jeremiah. So well, maybe that's the best thing you could have done. It gets even more crazy, this cycle of death in chapter 44, when finally, uh, not finally, the word of God to the exiles now in Egypt. So Jeremiah yeah. now is giving word to the exiles in Egypt. Right. Even though they weren't supposed to be there. And he says, um, look, you will not return to Judah except mm-hmm. for a few fugitives. Some of you will be smart enough to run away from mm-hmm. here. But you're all going to die here, here with Egypt. And their response is shocking. No. They stood up to Jeremiah and they mm-hmm. say, no. We were better off pouring out our offerings to the queen mother of heaven. What? Wait, who is this queen mother? Yeah. We've, Astra? We've heard about the queen mother here and there throughout our readings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they are clearly in their own minds going, um, we were better off when we were giving offerings to her. And in fact, the only times that we, things got bad was when we stopped and we we're actually trying to follow the Lord. So you know what? We're going to continue offering right. to the queen mother <laughs> and we're going to expect her to save us. And so God very clearly is like, okay, you do that. I'm not saving you anymore. Yeah, Jeremiah says, yeah, I know about all that. God saw it, and that's why you're in Egypt now. Mm-hmm. You're not. Do you don't think that maybe the reason you're in Egypt is because God was sick of your idolatry? I mean, even a normal person, <laughs> a semi-broken normal person, kicks someone out of their house after 
continued infractions and endangering the people in the house. I was getting better though. Nope. So no. so Jeremiah then invokes a, like basically God's dismissal mm-hmm. and his watching over them now is God's not watching over you for good. He's watching over you for bad, for disaster. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, Nebuchadnezzar is going to wipe this place out. Well, and then small chapter 45 goes uh, to Baruch. Because Baruch is like caught up in all this. and His, his scribe. So, yeah. so uh, Jeremiah, whenever things would need to get... like, So probably all of these things that we're reading were written by Baruch. So yeah. Jeremiah dictated and Baruch, his scribe, is writing this all down for us. And so he is sharing... And watching, so like anytime a message had to be delivered or one of these prophecies had to be delivered because Jeremiah couldn't make it in person, Baruch would go. And so he's seeing, along with Jeremiah, firsthand the rebelliousness rebelliousness of the people and the rejection of God's word. And so he too is going, um, why, Lord, what is going on? I am in crazy town. Please help me. Well, he's, the way I read it, a note on this was he's feeling the wrath, the heat of God's wrath. Yes. Like you're close to the fire. Uh-huh. You're even close to a bonfire. Sometimes yes. you lose oh, your yeah. eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't have many to lose, but what little I had when I was 19 I got saw, curled I saw my up. dad uh, lose his eyebrows once. It was pretty great. It's pretty funny, yeah. When you get so close <laughs> to a fire and all of a sudden it's like everything's curled up, like all your hairs are singed yeah. and you have no more eyebrows. Well... So Baruch is told, I'm gonna, God says, I'm going to give your life as a prize of war. Like, you're going to make it, Baruch. Okay, so fascinating statement by God. I like this because it kind of puts things in perspective. Because sometimes you do. You get in the midst of tragedy and you're going, you're crying out to God and you're going, God, like, I feel like I'm the only th- one doing anything right. right. I'm trying to follow you, but everyone else is not. And I'm being punished for it. What's going on, God? I'm trying to work this out. I'm like, where are you? Why aren't you protecting me? Why aren't you saving me? And I love God's response. He's like, okay, Baruch, time out. Um, I just want to give you the perspective of what's happening here. Yes. I'm having, I'm being forced to destroy everything I've worked for. I, me, the creator, am destroying the land and my people Everything that I've planted, I'm uprooting and I'm destroying. And you want protection? You want great? You want peace? I'm not having peace right now, Barack. Yeah, that's what we we're so broken. We can't imagine. We can't even think for a second about God. Right. Like the way people can't think about me or I can't think about them. Like, why can't you just help me? Because I have a family. I have three kids. I have a wife. They all need me during the time Mm -hmm. you want me. Right. And so then he's having to say, look. Understand, I'm going through some stuff right now, <laughs> but I will protect your life through all of this. I will remember you. I will give you your life. You will walk dog. through I'm... all of this. It won't be fun. It won't be peaceful, but you won't be harmed. Who adopted who? Okay. <laughs> well, check this out. I was overwhelmed emotionally. So like, once you get into the story of scripture... Instead of connecting academically, like, mm-hmm. here's a proof text to prove that Jesus was really the Son of God, and you use Jeremiah, because that's the only way I ever used Jeremiah in the past. <laughs> Look, Jeremiah said this, and Jesus said this. I connected so emotionally reading this mm-hmm. that I was like, I instinctively went to Jesus entering Jerusalem during his Passion Week, the oh, week before yeah, he's yeah. crucified, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not see your houses left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he foretells the destruction of the temple. And I connected to Jesus having this relationship with the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. Like this isn't a cryptic saying. No. When you're reading the Gospels, you're like, wow, Jesus, what's going on? But he's connecting to the ancient people of God and this rise and fall and rise and fall of Jerusalem. And they're stuck in this like small cycles and big cycles and millennial cycles mm-hmm. of death. Mm-hmm. And have you ever seen a hen gather her her little chicks? I, I have. I don't know if in real life. I but... saw it in real life when I was in Guatemala. It started to rain. And yeah. I saw it, and it indelibly marked my soul because I thought of this verse. Interesting. And it was so cool because, I mean, literally five or six of these chicks just, they disappeared under the, the hen. Mm. Just disappeared under her. And I'm like, this is what Jesus has longed to do. And Jeremiah was sent. He's one of these prophets. And now Jesus, the prophet, comes mm-hmm. and is able to do what Jeremiah could not do. Right. Which is to die, like his life would become... Uh, be, he'll be able to change hearts by his death. Right. And Jeremiah brought the word of God, which leads us to other, well, there's other whole other conversations about successful ministry. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell everybody right now, your successful Christian life is not how many people you'll see saved, how many miracles you'll perform. It purely is, um, your success is hearing the word of God mm. and simply saying, hey, Jesus Christ is Lord. If that's what God calls you to do, you might die for it, or you might be a multimillionaire. Um, who knows? That's not up to you. That's just kind of, you know, you're either under the reign of David or you're under the reign of Ahab. It's like a bummer. <laughs> um, you can't control that. Right. Anyway, that just reminded me of yeah. him entering the city because 46, the rest of our, our readings really are... 46 and 47. 46 47 are basically now his prophecies turn towards Egypt... Yeah, the remaining countries that are still not under Babylonian rule. And he says, because uh, basically God controls kingdoms, all mm-hmm. the rise and fall of kingdoms, in order to establish his kingdom. Mm-hmm. So now he has to announce Egypt, Necho yep. of Egypt, the Pharaoh, you're going to, you might experience some victory right now, but then Babylon's wiping you out. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of this, what's interesting is um, there's like a little bit of comfort, but I will save some. In Judah, and what I read too was, uh, he's not going to totally destroy. Like we still have Egypt today, only because of some of these idol worshiping children of God. Yeah, it says afterward Egypt shall be inhabited as in the days of old, declares the Lord. So what was shocking to me was it reminded me of Abraham, like saying, "If there's five righteous people mm-hmm. in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you say it?" He's like, "Sure, yeah. sure, I'll do that." Yeah, but you see this theme. Like, even Egypt is around today because there is a handful of idol-worshiping children of God. Mm-hmm. Like, they were bad. Mm-hmm. But God is ridiculously committed to his kids. And even for the sake of those kids, he's not going to utterly destroy Egypt. Which then makes me think of all of the nations around the world. <clears throat> right. Like, there's a handful of disobedient Christians, but they're still disobedient children. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the best they can, but they're... They don't have to live in disobedience because we have Christ and I could get into all that. But the idea is that maybe we're saving our nation by Mm 
by yeah. trusting the Lord right now. I think so. <laughs> I've never yeah. thought about it that way because we think, oh, I'm not good enough and I'm not mm-hmm. good. It's like, it doesn't matter. You carry the name. Right. And that name is hallowed. Mm-hmm. God's ridiculously committed to his children. Yeah. Then 47 is just, to all right, now I'm, now I'm going to deal with those. And he wipes out the Philistines. He's going to wipe mm-hmm. out the Philistines. Yeah. From here on out, it's just like a quick, like, judgment on all these other little countries, surrounding countries, where it's just like, cool, I judge my people, and since I'm judging my own people, I'm judging the surrounding nations. Yeah. Because you've done nothing but lead my people into slavery, so your time's up. Your time's up. And uh, what's interesting is there's no more Philistines today. Like, there's no Mm. country of Philistesia. It's been totally eradicated. Yeah. All right. Woo! Okay. All I'm saying is break out of that cycle of death today and the only way I know to do it is cry out to Jesus. He's ready to take you under his wing. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, they're considering the book of First Timothy. <laughs> Our New Testament reading for today is First Timothy chapter 5 and chapter 6. Timothy is such a surprising book. It's so refreshing and wonderful because it's to Timothy, a pastor. Yeah. And so for me, I kind of take this, I take this book personally. Like, I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. What is, what's important to Paul <clears throat> for these fledgling churches in a fledgling movement called Christianity? And it's um, kind of cool to see like what's important is the word of God. And then there's organizational things. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing in chapter five is regard each other as family yeah, with gentleness and kindness. Mm-hmm. And, and so like practically to Timothy, he's like the old men talk to them like they're your father. Right. Young men talk to them as brothers, old women as mothers, young women as sisters. Like this is how we're going to interact with, this is, the perspective and the household code. Like he's done this in other books. Like therefore, here's how we act right. as husband, wife, child, um, <clears throat> slave, master. And so he's kind of now telling Timothy what to tell the people in the congregation, the expectations. Yeah, so he wants to be, he's very clear, like surprisingly <laughs> clear on... Yeah on how things are supposed to work in the church and like what the church's obligations and responsibilities are. And so he starts off um, with widows and he's like, look, the church really exists to help those who have no one else and are fully reliant on God. Well, so here's what hit me. He's talking to Timothy in leadership about money. Yeah. Because Money messes things up, uh-huh. and especially in the field of pastoring, it's right. very easy to make. If you start making it about money, you have partiality towards the people who have money and who's supporting your ministry, and we need this, and you get messed up. Mm-hmm. And so he's dealing with all the areas of money, right. and so one of them is, um, and, and the highest priority for Paul is we do not want to burden the church. Here's where the church's money goes. Mm-hmm. Here's what it's for. It's not our hope, it's not, but we have to be responsible with it. And so he starts off with widows because that's a big problem when people aren't living as long as we are today, mm-hmm. but an older woman who loses her husband, loses her land, loses everything. Yeah. And so the temptation then is going to be to take advantage of a 
Christian community, mm-hmm. widows from all over are going to need food, they're going to need shelter, they're going to need all the daily stuff, and then we're going to feel like, oh, we want to be loving and helpful. And so Paul's like, here, here's some really kind of harsh rules. Harsh, but also like <laughs> but loving, loving because you burn out. Yeah, trying to save everyone. You know, your whole day will become about this. Yeah, and so he's like, "Look, take care of the widows who have no one. If they have no, if they have family, let them rely on their family. Yes. Um, if if they're younger, uh, let them like work or get remarried. Yeah. Like let them figure that out. But if they have no one then you enroll them like you actually enroll them into a church financial program and you are going to help them and just kind of love them to death but yes love them all the way to death but even that to get into this program right you as a widow have to be um no question about your devotion to christ right like you basic, it's almost like the qualifications of a deacon. Yeah, to become a pastor or a deacon, like you need to show that you are dedicated to Christ, to washing the feet of the saints, to pray, be constant in prayer, to be hospitable, mm-hmm. to be like a, a, an example, yeah, a pillar in this faith community. Because if you bring slander upon us and you bring all these, if you're going to act luxurious and full of wine and a busybody, mm-hmm. nope, you are out of the program. Yeah, we're not going to support that behavior. No, we don't support that Which is good to rem- remember, like, there is a difference between helping and enabling. Right, and that's where we get confused today mm-hmm. is because, well, don't you want to help her? Right. No, I can't help someone who's not uh, looking to Christ for help. Right. They're just going to, actually, that's going to be the most unloving thing we can do to this community because we're going to reinforce that right. you living an ungodly lifestyle is okay, and you'll be paid for and taken care of, and that's okay. But the benefit is, of course, we take care of our widows and our orphans. Mm-hmm. But it does break down, and like for Timothy, Paul is not saying, go out there and take care of all the widows in the right. city. Go out there and take care of all the homeless and the poor. No, mm-hmm. he's actually saying, your primary concern is to minister the gospel, love the people equip the saints equip them to at one point too it's like even if you're a young widow and mm-hmm. you have access to money and you have that you take care of the widows yes. in your family yeah the church takes care of those who have nobody and are like they are committed to the bit mm-hmm. they're looking to god right and they are really you know a part of leadership it becomes Basically, almost a leadership yeah. position mm-hmm. um yeah so he he very clearly deals with that and then he moves on to uh elders and like oh the overseers the pastors of the church yeah. and he's like look if they're doing their job if they're ministering the word and they meet all these qualifications then they should have it says double honor we see double honor so it's honor in like respect but then also um honorarium as in payment yeah that's what was my opened my mind like even honoring your parents mm-hmm. in the ten commandments is connected to financially helping them in their old age yes and so double honor is is exactly that it's and, respect them but then also make sure you're supporting them and the laborer deserves his wages yeah and this is something i struggle with i mean i worked the first two years and starting a church for free because i felt kind of bad like mm-hmm. i don't want to take people's money and but here it is the word of god saying adam you can't that's a pride thing right you deserve to be paid you deserve to be paid because the word of God is 
worth being ministered. And that's what he's going to break down too. Cause again, you start to see this is all about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, he does even say like, you know, if a charge is against a pastor, right. make sure there has to be a, at least two witnesses, two to three witnesses. Yeah. Um, which is like, again, a very God established thing that he's always, like God has said all the way back in Leviticus, like, yeah. Any charges has to be validated by two or three. Um, Did you catch two? Okay, so then it moves into if an elder commits a sin, you rebuke him privately, but then there is you rebuke him publicly to instill the fear in people. So this is crazy. So I've always heard this out of context, like being referred to anyone. Right. Just anyone. No. And reading it in context and realizing, oh, this is dealing with... Uh, People in position of authority. Yeah, in the church. Yes. That are um, establishing a pattern of sin and are refusing to break out of it. Right. And so the so other people of the church are coming to the pastor saying, hey, what's going on? We need to stop this and the pastor's like no nothing's wrong with this and then so then they have to and publicly announce because again it's the church who kind of chooses the pastor calls the pastor so the church can publicly confront the pastor and say hey we are in agreement that this is wrong right and it can be anything but like for instance like you know having an affair right and so you do it publicly to remind everybody hey your leader this right. was leading you away from God. Right. And, and you're supposed to, be... to restore you to faith mm-hmm. in God. But we know it's to leaders mm-hmm. because he says, now be slow to lay hands. Right after this too, he goes like, be slow to anoint and lay hands on yeah. leaders, right? Because of this. Because it's going to be harder when you want to go into leadership and you're going to be the person who announces the word of God. The stakes go up now. Your life is a mm-hmm. little more public. And you have to be a person of who believes it all the way. And mm-hmm. when you don't, because you've been announcing who God is and the word of God, it might get announced if you're unrepentant, it has to get announced that this is publicly, this is wrong. Do not follow him down right. this path. Yeah. So it, it, the, this whole thing is like at the very end with the be slow on laying on hands. It's That's like the ordination process of ordaining someone or setting them apart for the office of public ministry. And he's just very clearly like, don't rush into picking leaders and pastors right. and stuff like that. Be slow. Watch Pray their, about it. their life. Watch about it. Make sure they follow in the line with all these qualifications listed previously. But did you catch, he's like, don't be um, partial in this. That's mm. the money bit for me. Mm-hmm. Is that, um, like, if you're my elder and you're doing something bad, but I know you give. Right. You support this whole thing. And you threatened me, like, hey, man, I don't want to have to leave and take mm-hmm. my money across the street. And I'm like, uh, let's just, let's not publicly rebuke him yet. Let's keep working with mm-hmm. him. Like, you got to go into this, un, you know, with no partiality. Yeah. And um, it's, I was going to say something else. Oh, what's interesting to me, too, is you have the qualifications, like, for women being a godly leader in mm-hmm. this and for men and the men being a godly leader, you know, and, yeah. and both are called to a certain standard. If you want to be in leadership, there's a standard. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you don't do it on your own willpower. You cry out to God and you pour into that relationship with God and receiving his mercy and grace and he'll, yeah. and his word will produce the fruits of the spirit in your life. 
So then it goes to a little bit of, uh, it sounds like Timothy was taking a Nazarite vow, mm-hmm. not drinking and being hardcore. And Paul's like, look, man, take a little wine for your stomach. Yeah. It's cool. Relax. But then he hits the, um, the idea of slave and master at the very yeah. end. It bleeds into chapter six. And again, you have to remember Paul and Christianity is really undermining the Roman system of slavery. Right. So we look back, we're like, oh, the Bible proves slaves. The Bible doesn't mm-hmm. fight against it and say, stop slavery. But you, you have to understand the context. And the context is, no, we're changing the whole game of slavery. Mm-hmm. Where master doesn't treat his slave as a piece of property, but as a brother in Christ. Right. And so as a result, as a slave, you can't get so comfortable now. You're starting to abuse that relationship. Mm-hmm. Or abuse, you know, the abuse yeah. of these things. We gotta love each other, whatever context we find ourselves born into, mm-hmm. fair or not fair, nice or not nice. Yeah. And, and then six, he really ends with, um, again, the main thing in pastoral ministries: teach and urge these things. Oh, there is a line too where he goes, um, "In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging." And that goes back. It just I like the idea that you're we're ministering before God and the angels, yeah. not before humans to mm-hmm. gain their approval. Mm-hmm. We're carrying something bigger. Then it ends with, that's why this makes sense to me, um, false teachers and, and true contentment. Mm-hmm. The temptation is to get into the ministry, especially back then and even today, because you can make money. Right. And you can be successful. And so the temptation is... Um, Man, anybody who's teaching other than this gospel is puffed up and they're engaging in conceit and they don't understand anything. It's an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among the people. Yeah. I I would even say, like, the constant temptation to, even once you're in the ministry, even if you are in properly called, is to slowly change the gospel into something more palatable or something that people would like to hear more and you become a false prophet because you're trying oh man to just your sole concern is for people to receive it and not to like hear the truth but just to be like i want them to like it right and i mean and i'm going to be totally honest the confessions of a pastor it's something i have to deal with Mm -hmm. because my calling is to preach the word of God. Right. And yet, my culture is saying, if you're doing things right, you'll grow. Right. If you're doing things right, you'll have disciples. If you're doing things right, you got to create ways for people to come back and for do that. And I agree there's ways to be loving to people. Mm-hmm. But my primary calling is not to make this the most comfortable place in the world for you so that you can, I can provide you with friends and I can provide you with a tennis club. And I can, mm-hmm. But I, you know what? I desperately want you. I want you to like it. Mm-hmm. I want you to like me. I want you to like the community because I want to keep working. And I also just like that. Right. And so I have to daily repent. And you know how I know I slip into um, this is still a battle in me is when I feel bad about church. Oh, yeah. Like so, whenever... So, we preach, and yeah. you're like, that wasn't good. I so, just did such a bad job. So yesterday, I had this little haunting feeling. It's Monday morning today, mm-hmm. and you have this feeling. It doesn't always happen, but it's like, oh, I could have done better. And, I and I'm trying to manage, like, yeah, how could I have done a better job preaching? But you know what? I break. I finally break down and go, Lord, there weren't as many people there. I still rely on numbers to validate me 
I will feel good when this is strong and good. And that is idolatry. Mm -hmm. Forgive me for turning your church into something else. It made it about me. And so I have to go, God, forgive me. What's the reality? And the reality is God's like, man, I'm super proud of you. You announced Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. You sang songs. And I've invited you to this party every week. You shouldn't feel ashamed for partying around my word on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Oh, why do I feel ashamed? Because I want it to be something. I want it to give me my comfort and my joy. And that's what he's addressing here. He says, um, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For Mm. we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Oh, man, that's great. I know. And so the idea is we don't go into ministry for great gain. See, he says, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So I'm not playing a game to make money and to make a living. But instead, I and I find this to be true too. So as much as I condemn myself with being a false prophet, I realize I am a true prophet because this has been my experience. There's great gain in godliness with contentment. That us getting in the word, us praying, mm-hmm. I get my mind right. Even having that conversation with God produces a contentment in mm-hmm. me. Though the world would say, man, your church is small and you have no prospects. Right. <laughs> what are you going to do? Right. I don't know. All I know is I want to keep preaching because I love the Lord. And there's contentment with the godliness. Yeah. And that's the idea. Um, he warns rich people, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So this is fascinating. The love of money is the root of all evil. Of all kinds of evil. Kinds of evil. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Um, That verse gets weirdly misquoted a lot. Um, But even that, the context is people trying to get in the ministry. Yes, it's using ministry for for gain. gain. And they're like, stop, you can't enter this. Like... Right. We have to be very clear. You're not entering into this to be rich. And you're not entering into this to become famous. You're right. not entering this to, to get power. Over you're people. entering this because you rec- you feel called by God to yeah. proclaim his word. Yeah, period. That is it. Because you feel like there is actual life there. And the love of money corrupts church. Mm-hmm. It corrupts us individually. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't extrapolate this out to your personal life, yeah. whether you're in ministry or not. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to money mm-hmm. to solve your major problems in life, you will be horribly let down. But again, just remember, this letter is written to from, from Paul to another pastor. Right, for him to benefit and pastor the church. Yeah. Uh, so then he just finishes off with, Man, stay strong. Well, I want to call this episode Fight Club. Oh, really? Oh, you already had a name? Yeah, I thought we were going to do uh, uh, Patterns. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good, too. We'll fight the patterns. Oh, yeah. But, okay. Uh, he there says, we go. He says, oh, man of God, flee these, flee these things that I've just mentioned about riches mm-hmm. and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And he just gives them a charge, like Jesus, to make a good confession. Mm-hmm. And you realize the good confession of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is the calling of ministry. It is the glue that holds the church together. It creates the family of God, who yeah. alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable, unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor an eternal domain, amen. And you think it's over. And you think it's over, but then he's like, 
P.S. As for the rich, Ethan. I'm really concerned that you're... Like, the one thing that could derail this whole church movement... Rich people. ...is rich people trying to hold sway or power over the church. So, just remind them not to be haughty or... Um, set their hopes on riches. The, the uncertainty, uncertainty of, of riches, riches. Which is what we see all the time. But r- remind them to look after God. Yes. And pursue God, because he will provide everything to enjoy. To enjoy. Like you want to enjoy life? Look to God. He provides joy. He yes. creates joy. Created things don't. Mm-hmm. They are to do good. So if you're rich, you need to do good. You need to be rich in good works. Yes. Because you actually have time and opportunity to do more good. Yeah, and be generous. Because you don't have to work all the time. Be generous and ready to share, storing up treasure for themselves um, so that they may take hold of what mm-hmm. is truly life. It's, yeah. It's pretty great. So I, I just think, you know, it's tough. If you want to be rich, just realize it's a hard life. It actually, I mean, it's hard for a rich man to enter because you feel so secure in your riches. Yeah. And even when you're rich and you're still not satisfied, you still aren't connected, you still aren't feeling anything different, but you have all the things you need, it's because even the pagans search after those things. We are the people who seek ye first, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And Paul is reminding Timothy, fight, pursue, take hold of. Don't get sidetracked in the ministry, and here are the things that will sidetrack you. Yeah. Widows, money, <laughs> charges. Yeah. Uh, ordaining people too soon false prophets false prophets hold to the truth thanks paul we went a little long today but um i like worth it. it our psalm for today is psalm 119 verses 65 through 72 you have dealt well with your servant O lord according to your word teach me good judgment and knowledge for i believe in your commandments before i was afflicted i went astray but now i keep your word You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. been fed by ravens go in peace and serve the lord hope you enjoyed it today i did and we'll see you next time